Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT. Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while actually explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Brian Wazlowski, and we've got some rock stars with us today. It is time to talk tech. Debate on how to enhance cybersecurity is moving forward in Congress, but many advocates are saying the proposals are really just more government surveillance cloaked in cyber. We'll explore how increased information sharing between the government and the corporate sector may lead to the NSA having even more information about you. We'll also be talking about how copyright mixes with cybersecurity research and explore why you should want good guy hackers finding security flaws before the bad guys do. We've all seen the headlines of massive breaches from Target to Anthem, and then the even more disturbing breaches at the U.S. Office of Personnel Management. Congress seems ready to act, and their response is cybersecurity legislation that would mandate increased information sharing between the federal government and corporations. Makes total sense, right? Not so fast. We have Greg Nojan here to tell us more about the proposed legislation we are seeing and why so many civil liberties civil liberties advocates are concerned about what's moving forward. Welcome, Greg. It's good to be here, Brian. You're just back from the Hill fighting the good fight, right? That's, that's right. So I would like to talk about CISA. Is that how we're saying it these yeah. days? C-I-S-A, the long name, the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act that is moving through the Senate. This seems to be the most prominent cybersecurity bill moving. You called it a cyber surveillance bill. Why is that? You know, it's not just because CISA rhymes with FISA. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's because this bill uh, makes it so that whatever the government gets for cybersecurity reasons from a company, let's say the company wants to share indications of a threat that it's seeing, the government can turn it to surveillance uses. uses. It mm. can use it for criminal investigations. It can use it for criminal investigations that have nothing to do with cybersecurity, carjacking kidnapping, a drug running with a gun. I mean, these things have nothing to do with cyber, and yet the bill preempts all law and permits companies to share these cyber threat indicators that will include pieces of personal information from communications you've sent or received. It permits the companies that handle those communications to share that stuff with the government, and then it tells the government, you can go ahead and use it for non-cyber reasons. That's why we, and I think most of the civil liberties groups, are calling it a cyber surveillance bill. Well, on first blush, you know, some of the things you just said, I'm like, oh, well, you know, if you have the data, why shouldn't you be able to, like, go after it, use it for carjackings and whatnot? What's the problem with this? Like, really, why is this a problem? You know, normally, when law enforcement wants to investigate uh, a crime, if it wants the contents of your communications, and sometimes the cyber threat indicators will have pieces of content, if it wants the contents, it's got to go in front of a judge, get a warrant, and prove probable cause. Um, here, the company can just share the information, for even for investigating those crimes, because that's what the bill uh, allows, and then uh, bypass the warrant requirement. I think that's not what people have in mind when they hear cybersecurity bill. It's certainly not what we have in mind. And, and let, let me just say, Brian, I, I think there is a need for some legislation to facilitate information sharing for cyber reasons between the government and the private sector. We need a scalpel. 
because there are some problems that need to be fixed. SISA is a sledgehammer, and we don't need a sledgehammer. So what are, you know, if we need a scalpel, what are the elements that you would have in an effective cybersecurity guard? I would have a narrow definition of the information that companies would need to share with the government or could be permitted to share with the government. Uh, I would require the companies to remove personally identifiable information that isn't needed to describe a threat or to mitigate the threat. I'd say that they could share that information with the government even if this particular or that particular law says they couldn't. You know, I, I would preempt those laws. Um, but what the SISA bill does is say, well, you company, you can share this information unless you know it to be irrelevant. Well, nobody knows something to be irrelevant sure. to a threat. And then it says, and you can share this information notwithstanding any law. That's certain to backfire. It's certain to have unintended effects. And instead of dealing with the problem by saying, okay, we're going to define the problem, we're going to define the information narrowly, we're going to describe the laws, that we're going to identify the laws that we're preempting, it takes a blunderbuss approach. Mm, so with SISA, though, even with all these flaws, if it were to pass, would it have prevented any of the breaches that you know are grabbing the headlines, the Target one, the Anthem one? Would it have been effective in deterring that or stopping that? No. So take the Target example. Take the Target breach, for example. That was about Target not doing basic things to secure its network. Um, CISA doesn't solve that problem. Uh, what CISA does is make it so that if there's an attack on one company that another company doesn't know about, it increases the likelihood that that other company will get information about that attack. Okay. So it would handle, it would help with some kinds of cyber attacks, uh, the ones that are repeat offenders, if you will, um, but it wouldn't help with the new ones. And that's a lot of what we've been seeing is a, a new vulnerability. And it wouldn't help with some of the basic hygiene that companies and users ought to be doing that we're not. Yeah, we've had other people on, you know, such as Joe Hall, our technologist, talking about you know basic things that companies should be doing that they just don't. A lot of times it's phishing scams that get people into the corporate infrastructure. It's poor management around the data you have, lack of use of encryption, all that sort of stuff. Um, and CISA doesn't seem to cover any of that. Um, but let's pivot a little bit. There's another piece of the legislation that you highlighted um, that is worrisome, and it's uh, called countermeasures or hacking back, I've heard people call it. And I kind of take that to be if someone attacks you, you can punch them back. Why is this such a problem? It seems like something, okay, if you hack me, I'll come back at you. What's the issues with this and why is it in SISA even? You know, if someone punches you and you want to punch back, you usually know who punched you. The problem in cyber is that attribution is inexact and you could be punching the wrong guy. So a lot of times, the, the attackers will route their attacks through uh, proxies, through uh, people whose computers have been taken over. They're part of a botnet. And so if you're hitting back at the person who punched you, you might be hitting the victim mm. instead of the person who actually decided that the punch should be thrown. So in, in cyber, it's just harder to get it right. So you don't want uh, to authorize countermeasures that can have these extra network effects. So a countermeasure that's limited to your network or the network of someone you were hired to protect, that seems okay. 
But once it goes outside, that's when it looks like hacking back. That's when these problems of attribution become uh, manifest. So, um, for example, this bill says, and, and the, the, the sponsors of the bill, they recognize this. They've acknowledged up front, we're authorizing countermeasures that could have extra network effects. <laughs> but, and then they said, well, the extra network effect, you can cause harm, but it can't be substantial. What is substantial? <laughs> you know, you don't want courts figuring this out. You want right. to make it clear you, you can't cause harm off your network. <laughs> I mean, that should be the rule. Uh, but that's not where the bill is. So we're very worried that, um, again, in preempting all laws, including the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, Congress is going to be authorizing hacking um, for bad reasons that the bill is really designed to prevent. Wow, it seems as though uh, Congress is putting up a proposal that's really not going to address any of the situations it's trying to cover. So when we get to the next phase, we've covered a lot of grounds here, and you kind of hinted at this. If it gets to a pass, and I, from what you've said before, it looks like this is going to move forward on some level. What are the amendments that we're hoping to see or that are needed to make this at least a pill that could be swallowed? <laughs> so um, one, one good amendment would be an amendment that says if you're deploying a countermeasure, you can't violate the Federal Computer Fraud and Abuse Act can't authorize, we're not going to authorize hacking back. Another good amendment would be to narrowly define the personal information that can be shared. Uh, another good amendment would be to say, look, if the companies are going to be authorized to share this information with the government for cybersecurity reasons, the government has to use it only for cybersecurity reasons. No surveillance bill in um, um, cyber clothing. Um, another feature of this bill, Brian, is that it says that once a company shares information with one agency of the government, that agency has to immediately share it with the NSA oh. and with other agencies of the government. You know, I, I don't think that the NSA needs everything that's coming in on, in a civilian program, and yet this bill requires it. That seems um, ill-advised. It requires also that the information be shared immediately with the NSA. Sometimes working a privacy protective measure takes a moment. If it takes a moment, the bill ought to allow for that moment to be taken, but it doesn't. A good amendment would be to allow um, time for privacy when it takes some time. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you're talking about this, what really resonates for me is the type of data that is collected in these cyber incidents and the, the people. So let's just use like a retail one. You know, you and I shop at Target, you know, so why would we think that our shopping at Target, suddenly our information is then in the hands of the NSA? I understand what you're, you know, you're saying in terms of, you know, if the information being used for carjackings or different types of crime, but that means our data is with the NSA and that just doesn't seem right. Right. And, and then what are they going to do with it? Right. So, so um, there is going to be, and I think there is a problem today. Uh, we're not adequately protecting networks. Government networks, private networks, information sharing could be helpful. So I think we have to recognize that and understand that there is going to be more information shared and that really the job of CDT and other advocates is to make sure that uh, in the new regime we limit the uh, impact on privacy as much as we possibly can. Again, by narrowing the information shared and limiting the uses to which it can be put. Uh, one thing about this um, Senate bill 
is that it says that if the information stolen is necessary to describe the crime or is relevant to describing the, not the crime, but the, but the incident, uh, then it can be shared. Well, wait a minute. Um, is that going to mean that companies are just going to routinely turn over that information mm. when they don't necessarily have to? I think we have to be concerned about that. You know, you don't want to be a victim twice, right? Yeah. Your stuff was stolen and it was taken in, in the target hack. It was taken by some thief. You don't want to be a victim twice because then it gets shared with the government as well. So as we send you back to the Hill to keep fighting the good fight, any last thoughts for us on cyber legislation? Um, CISA rhymes with FISA. We don't like it. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you. Let's imagine you are driving down the highway, jamming to your tunes, which in my case would be the amazing Ingrid Michaelson, and then wham, you suddenly lose the ability to accelerate. Your car slows down and you start to lose speed as a semi is bearing up behind you. Horrifying, right? Well, this scenario recently happened to a writer for Wired Magazine, who willingly allowed two hackers to demonstrate how they could hack into his car system and truly take control. These two hackers found multiple vulnerabilities in the entertainment system used in the Jeep Cherokee and similar vehicles and exploited them to take control of everything from the volume of the radio to the acceleration of the car. They shared their findings with the automaker, who has since recalled 1.4 million vehicles. So what could this story, how could this story possibly be about copyright law? I have Eric Stallman with me today to help elaborate and explain. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Brian. So the story, when you sent it to me, the Wired story, terrified me because I already am semi-terrified about having a computer in my car. I read a book. It was about the apocalypse and about like electromagnetic pulse and how like if that happens, your car won't work. So now I'm like, not only do I have a computer in my car that won't work if there's electromagnetic pulse, but now someone could hack me. This is very, very terrifying <laughs> stuff. But like this was actually done as part of research, right? Security research. They had good yes. intentions. Is this a common thing, the vulnerability type research that these two gentlemen were doing? Uh, y yes and no. It's it's uncommon in the in the sense that, that most of this type of research takes place in, in a controlled environment, not rather, on highways, rather, right? Not on the open road, and, <laughs> and that was the peculiar and I think somewhat regrettable aspect of this research. But but in general, yes, there is a lot of research being done on on, a, on all the the uh, devices that we now connect to the to the internet. Recently, Cory Doctorow said that your car is a computer that you put your body into. I think that's something that's been true for many years, but now that car is connected to the internet, and with that connection comes a, a new host of vulnerabilities, and we have a lot of very, very smart researchers looking into those vulnerabilities. So what are other types of, you know, just for people that wouldn't know in general, types of things that people are researching that well, you might be aware of? Well, there's basic things, research going on into the, the security of the secure socket layer, the, the way that we ensure that our connections to the internet are secure. There has been uh, research into the security of things like heart rate monitors or insulin pumps, because those can also be um, hacked and modified by, by, uh, by researchers or by more nefarious hackers. Wow. So what does, how does copyright play a role in any of this? That's a very good question, and, and some people would argue that, that it shouldn't. But the reason why it does is because of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And I know you hate acronyms, but I don't have to Go use for one. <laughs> and that is TPM, which stands for Technological Protection Measure. What part of the Copyright Act says is that if you bypass or if you circumvent a, a technological protection measure that protects a copyrighted work, you have violated the law. 
regardless of whether or not you commit copyright infringement, to just simply doing that act has violated the law. And any researcher that's doing research on, some, on a system that, that was the research is not authorized is going to be exceeding authorized access and so sort of circumventing uh, a TPM. And when they do that, they violate the copyright. So that means that the, you know, whatever it is, whether it be in the case of the car, the system itself is copyrighted right. material or intellectual property that is right. protected. Right. And then by going through the security system, you are infringing and right. getting into Well, you're, you're not infringing. This is a very peculiar element of this part of the, 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 the statute is that you don't even have to be copying anything or infringing copyright. The mere circumvention of the mm. thing that protects the copyrighted okay. work is a separate actionable offense. And because when you do re research on systems where you have to bypass these measures, uh, you're going to be circumventing them, you, you violated the DMCA. Okay, so CDT recently um, submitted comments to the US Copyright Office on this. What are we saying in our comments? Well, we're saying a few things. One, uh, we're saying that the existing uh, exemption that uh, is in the statute for security testing is insufficient because it requires you to get the, uh, the authorization of the, the owner of the, the, the device or the network or, this, or the software. And in a lot of cases, particularly in the case of open source software, um, it's been incorporated to a lot of different uh, you know, uh, software packages or devices. It's unclear who the person to give that authorization would be. Um, and, and two, we're, we're saying that this is really something that should be worked out by the security research community rather by, than, than by the Copyright Office. So we're asking the, the office to grant uh, an exemption for security research. So then that exemption, in theory, would allow for the type of hacking, for lack of a better word, of systems, um, but would it create more of a system for kind of the reporting back of that research to whatever the entity is, whether it be an automaker or, you know, who knows, the yeah, well, platform? It, it would allow the reporting both to that entity and to the public. So this is, this is and this has been one of the main, the, the main sticking points in, in this whole debate, is what is the appropriate way to, to disclose a vulnerability? Uh, understandably, uh, car makers or, or any uh, owner of a, of a network or, or software would pr prefer that you just tell them and then they're the right. ones who handle the disclosure to the, to the public. But in a lot of cases what happens is uh, someone will sit on a known vulnerability and, and not address it until it's, it's already been exploited in, in, in the wild, so to speak. And so part of what the security researchers are looking for is a, is a safe way to be able to inform the public and other parts of the research community so they can act on and fix these, these vulnerabilities. Because you know, one of the most powerful things that security researchers can do is share information with one another so that we can address these things more expeditiously. Absolutely. So what do you think the chances are of the Copyright Office actually doing something about this and making the changes we'd like to see? <laughs> well, first, I, I think it's very dangerous to, to try to guess at or handicap on uh, outcomes in any kind of proceeding. That is very lawyerly <laughs> of you to say. <laughs> right, and I, and I do want to commend the, the Copyright Office for, I, I think they are asking, um, I mean, they're thinking hard about this and they're, they're talking to a lot of people and I think they're, they're trying to get uh, to, a, to a, a good place, but understandably they're institutionally more closer to rights holders than they are to the security research community and they have been very preoccupied with this question of how do you appropriately control disclosure. Um, and I think that they're, they're unlikely to, to issue any kind of uh, exemption that doesn't contain some kind of re uh, requirement around uh, the way you handle disclosure. And I think that's going, that could be problematic for the, the research community, which would rather sort of self-regulate uh, that question. So what's kind of the time frame on even anything coming out on this? Um, well, th so right now there's a, there's a, a 
triennial review proceeding where every three years you basically request these exemptions and the okay. Copyright Act looks at them. We've all submitted comments now. We've had a, a hearing on it. The, the Copyright Office had some supplemental questions. They're now going through a process uh, of interagency consultation where they'll, they'll consult other parts of the government that, that think about these same questions and, and come to an answer. But in terms of, of, of when we'll see that answer, I, I think it'll be sometime in the next maybe few months, but it's, it's always hard to say. It does not sound like a fast process. So in the meantime, with you know this exemption not in place, it seems as though if we do want the good guy researchers or hackers to continue doing this, they're kind of operating in legal limbo. Right. Is that right? Yeah, so, yeah somewhat. I mean, I mean, I think that, again, they're, they're operating in a, and this is part of why we participate in this process, is we would like clarity for the, for the research community. They shouldn't have to do this research under, under a under a cloud of, um, of 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 uncertainty and potential litigation risk, especially with respect to disclosing their their results, which will, are very important to to both making everyone safer, but also just furthering our understanding of, of how how systems work and, and how to address their vulnerabilities. Um, so yeah, so they'll they'll continue to operate under legal uncertainty for the time being. But I think there is an effort to to address these. Uh, these questions outside of a regulatory or, or a legal um, uh, environment or venue. And I think that the, if we can all sort of mutually agree that the worst place to answer these questions is in a courtroom, that we'll, we'll work towards a better answer. That's great. So is there anything, you know, CDT filed comments, a lot of other groups have filed comments. I know our comments were also with a group of technologists. Anything that our listeners can do to, if they care about this issue, to advance it or nudge the copyright office in the right direction? I mean, at, th at this point, I don't know that there's really a, a, an avenue for to, to to comment to the to the copyright office uh, directly. They they sort of have their their own windows for filing comments, and those win windows have largely closed. But I think that, that something that everyone can do is just sort of pay more attention to to, to this question and, and sort of realize that that the, the 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 entire issue of the security of systems and security of research is one that involves the vendor community, involves the rights holders, involves security researchers, it involves law enforcement and encourage these uh, these uh, communities to talk to one another. That's helpful. So um, you're a biker. You're going to stick with biking. No cars <laughs> for you after reading the Wired article. Yeah, well, I, I've been sticking with bicycles for about 16 years, and, and, and currently none of my bicycles are connected to the Internet. Well done. All right. Thanks so much, Eric. All right. Thanks. That's it for this week's CDT Tech Talk. You can find more information about the troubling cybersecurity bills moving through Congress and about necessary reforms to digital copyright laws at www.cdt.org. And Greg asked me to encourage everyone to reach out to their senators to oppose CISA. It's well worth the call or the email if you have the time. As always, tweet us any questions you have or topics you'd like us to cover to at Thanks for listening.